Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice of chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label. And for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. Ten years ago, there were times when I would literally spend six months doing three, four hundred versions of a formula to get to something that I actually thought was acceptable. All that hard work did end up paying off, though, because now I have a large amount of conceptual understandings of the way the flavors work against each other. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. For over a decade, Ben Goodwin, the co-founder of Olipop, has been building a better-for-you soda that has aimed to change the soda game, disrupting the big boys at Coke and Pepsi and offering a high-fiber, unusually craveable beverage for discerning millennials. Well, dang, 2023 was certainly the year of Oldie Pop, and Goodwin joins in the studio to talk about all of it. He details how he developed flavors like vintage cola, crisp apple, and fruit punch, and digs into the challenges facing beverage founders today. It's really fun having Ben on the show, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Ben Goodwin, welcome. This is Taste. What's up? Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's cool to meet you. We're talking about pronunciations to start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you might as well. It's Olipop. Olipop. Although, I have to be honest, my own mom calls it Olipop. Okay, your own mom. Yeah, and so, and I have to have the conversation. I'd be like, Mom, you know, one day they're going to interview you and just do me the solid <laughs> and learn Olipop for me? Yes, it's like a certain trick on a certain board. We won't get into that. We won't get into that. that. <laughs> I will. It's like, but she also calls it like turmeric. You know, like it's just, oh, some people are just. I like the turmeric crowd. They're always yeah. fun. Or kombucha. Oh, yeah. You know, there's that, you know, yeah. it happens. What about the white uh, liquid that comes from cows? Milk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the Midwest, so it's milk. 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 Yeah, my mom's from Ohio. So she's a milk hive? Yeah, she probably would say, I mean, I haven't, she hasn't said it recently that I'm a, she actually were talking about milk the other day, but I didn't, I didn't track it. You didn't track it. I okay. mean, I grew up with things like Heavens to Betsy and stuff like that. So, so let's talk about Olipop and I have thoughts on the flavor profile, the effervescence, the acidity, and the general sweetness to bitter ratio. Yeah. To me, it's all really, really exciting. I like how this tastes. Um, but tell me in your words, what, how do you describe the flavor of your, your product? What a great, deep question. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll certainly, I, it's, it's a large question. So I obviously do 100% of our formulation in-house. And I've been a flavor developer and a product developer for like 17, 18 mm-hmm. years at this point. So I don't know. I always kind of start off just trying to formulate my own things. In prior ventures, you'd inevitably get to a point of scale where somebody would say, hey, either for cost reasons or efficiency reasons or because your time is getting more and more limited, why don't we go to a flavor house? And then I'd go to a flavor house and I'd say, here's what I'm trying to get to. And then like six frustrating months later, I'd be like, why the hell am I trying to What's do an example? Just give one right now. I mean, in so we had a prior venture. Uh, every flavor I've ever worked on, like we, try, we would go and 
you know, I haven't put every flavor I've ever worked on in prior ventures through a flavor house, but we had a lemon lime, a uh, grapefruit orange, a we actually had a cherry, and we had a root beer mm. in the prior venture. And so at a certain point, we're like, hey, maybe there's some optimization that a flavor house can do. Because people just, you know, you're in your 20s and people are like, this kid can't possibly yeah. do it. They're like, right. we're, we bit, we're in New Jersey, somewhere sub- suburb where all the flavor houses are, and we're better than you. Well, yeah, or even people in your own company just assume at some point that we're going to get some sort of optimization going through the Yeah, process. right. And so I would, and I'm sure there's, there's talented flavor chemists out there. I work with some folks that I've had a decade-plus relationship with. But in general... I always have just formulated my own products. And at this point, my and I'll get around to actually answering your question, yeah, yeah. I, I swear. Good context. But at this point, you know, my approach to formulation is, is actually quite different than even it was like 10 years ago, right? 10 years ago, if I wanted to th- work through something, there were times when I would literally spend uh, six months doing three, 400 versions of a formula mm-hmm. to get to something that I actually thought was acceptable. Uh, all that hard work did end up paying off, though, because now I have a large amount of conceptual understandings of the way the flavors work against each other. And I can almost, I think about it in advance. So like the watermelon lime, for example, I thought about that formula just here and there, like off and on for like two years. So by the time it, it came, it came time to actually start working on it. There's a lot of the conceptual architecture for where I wanted to go with it was in my mind. And then I'll think, then I'll think more specifically around what are the acids we're using, what are the flavor notes we're trying to get get to, how do we balance them against each other. It's so cool about watermelon. You think about watermelon, there could be watermelon Jolly Rancher, there could be Agua Fresca watermelon, there could be like really dull watermelon that Mm -hmm. you get at like the farm stand Yeah, how thick do you want it? How thin do you want it? How bright do you want it? How sharp do you want it? How sweet do you want it? Do you want a little salt note in there? How much, what's the balance? Yeah. Yeah. And so now I get to the point where typically I've thought about both the concept and the architecture of the flavor enough that by the time I go to my yellow notepad and I write down my first formula, I'm usually like 70 to 80% of the way there. Nice. In the, it just continued to You're like go. Jay-Z. Like Jay-Z had it all in his head and then he's going to Is do that, the blueprint. Oh yeah. yeah, that's how he did it. Yeah, oh, he just like does yeah. it like in a couple of takes. It's like yeah. the blueprint happens because he's he's been formulating right, his brain. Right, right, right. I, I think it's a lot of the creative process can happen up there because you're, you're, you have no constraints once yeah. you're up in, when you're in your mind. And, yeah. and also, the other thing that will end up happening is I'll develop like a little bit of a feeling that's attached to where I want to be. And so then as I go through the tasting process, I'm like, is this giving me that feeling? <laughs> right. Is it so I've already created this like anchorage or anchor point around the around the formula. In the case of watermelon, but then there's almost always some sort of curveball that gets thrown in once you actually start. Because you're 70% of the way there. You put your initial formula together. And then you just go through this iterative process. I do four versions. I pick, I learn from all four of them, but I pick the one that's the best. Mm-hmm. And then I say, okay, here's the different things now I want to test on this version for new versions or whatever it is. You so, know? What's, so what's the the, the thread that, that links your flavors together? Because I feel in having sampled yeah. about 12 SKUs, I personally think there's a thread there. There is. I mean, I'm always looking to try to hit a nostalgic aspect for 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 it has to sit with me it has to be nostalgic for me and i have to feel confident it's going to be nostalgic for our customers and so i think about what's that nostalgic kind of framework what is the expectation associated with what this flavor typically is and then critically how do i make it ownable and 
move the flavor forward mm-hmm. so that Olipop has a specific way of expressing that yeah. flavor, but while still having a linkage structure that goes back to the expected. Right. Um, like, the, you know, the cherry vanilla or the cherry cola, which you're having now. I'm is sipping on right now. Perfect example of that. Like, it's, uh, you know, there's some tart cherry in there. There's some black cherry flavor notes. There's our traditional cola, but then I added some interesting fruit notes to the cola. Which one? Kind of a secret. I mean, I bet, but there's probably like a, a, a it's mood. It's a dark fruit. Oh, okay, so like yeah. a plum. Might be in that general cherry direction. plum. Yeah, might be in that. Cher- might be in that general direction. I'm not confirming okay. your tonight. Or I, an olive. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good dark fruit. Uh, but then you know, so now it's this. Now it it still says cherry cola clearly, but it says it is in this in this fairly differentiated way. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm gonna just jump in and tell you what I think it's about because yeah, I agree sure. with you. There's definitely always nostalgia in a in a sip of of Olipop. Um, what I like is there's it's clean. It's really it's like razor sharp. Mm-hmm. It's not distracted by the sugar notes of it. Like there's like not an artificial sweetener flavor that kind of distracts. It's like yeah. laser sharp towards uh, towards that flavor, similar to what like La Croix did back like when Pomplamoose like would hit the scene yep. like, a decade ago. Um, but also there's a craveability that makes me think there's like salt. There's like savory notes. There's umami. so there is a tiny bit of pink rock salt in the formula. Yeah, and but it's a, it. it's a very mi- minute quantity. Part of that is a very subtle undertone to the flavor. So kudos to you, and, uh, for grabbing that. Another piece of it though is um, that things that are acidic have to be converted to uh, neutral yeah. in the liver, and they need alkaline uh, compounds to do that. And so that's one of the things that actually typically associates soda consumption in the long term with high rates of osteoporosis because all that carbonic acid. From Wait, the so like if you're like doing 12 Diet Cokes a day, you're like probably going to break your femur at some point? Let's. <laughs> there are links to high levels of soda <laughs> consumption and osteoporosis, all right, all right. especially in older adults. I'm ta- it's, taking no, some jumps. And, but it's because that acid goes into the liver. So there's this – you remember how there's a whole craze people like – your blood's acidic or it's yeah. alkaline. That's all bullshit. Yeah. The reason why it's bullshit is because if your blood pH shifted even like 0.1 or 0.2, you'd be in the hospital. Yeah. Right? So that's not happening. Because that was like, those are like diet books that were talking about the pH levels of your blood and, and your diet based on pH levels. So erroneous. Yeah. So like, and, but what does happen is the food comes in and it has to get converted in your liver. And so, for example, if you're constantly consuming highly acidic things, that's a bunch of magnesium, that's a bunch of phosphorus, that's a bunch of calcium. And where do you think grid sources of those are? Those are your bones. Yeah. So chronically breaking down huge amounts of really acidic stuff can, if you're not, especially if you're not replenishing. Yeah, if you're not getting could a have a, there balanced could be a diet. Yeah. So let's jump into diet-related. A, a p- part of the, the product is is diet-related in a way. Now, we've talked about flavor, and and I've expressed my, my delight and my, my, my joy in drinking this product. But there is um, a level of, of diet and health here. Mm-hmm. Fiber. Yeah, really, 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 really fiber rich. In fact, Andrea Hernandez, who we've had on the show many times, who runs a great snack cart, has called your product Millennial Metamucil, <laughs> which I'd like to first say, what do you think about that? Uh, it was it's actually interesting that you bring that up because, you know, my mom had some emergent gastrointestinal uh, conditions and her gastroenterologist recommended she consume Metamucil. Hmm. And so actually, look, it's psyllium husk. Is, there's nothing wrong with psyllium husk. It's like it's a good insoluble fiber. But in the Metamucil's case, it's like citric acid and artificial flavor and artificial color and, and cane sugar. It also like tastes like shit. Like yeah, I was like, like not great. I'm not giving that to my mom. So I actually gave her uh, unlimited supply of Olipop, and over time, it seems like it 
you know, we, yeah. she went back in front of the colonoscopy, and it seemed like it it helped her. So, what's this fiber doing? And, and looking in the can right now, I mean, on the on the cherry, uh, you're doing nine grams per yeah, can. Yeah, there's nine grams for every flavor. I mean, so basically, yeah. it's a it's a baseline of nine grams. Everyone knows about 35 percent of your you know your what you need. Yeah, that percentage. It's right. Pretty good. Well, according to the FDA. Right, so that's the th- right. that's the thing. So the the research that I looked at, and there's a bunch of really good research that's emerging in this area. The research that I was looking at that kind of facilitated this the functional blend um, was really on indigenous diets, hunter gatherer diets. You know what? Basically, humans are kind of built from a ground up level to eat, and with the exception of you know groups like the Inuits who are mostly over there eating fermented seal meat, yeah. most indigenous diets have get a hundred to two hundred grams of fiber a day. And which I mean, just even start to comprehend that, and a lot of that is actually prebiotic fiber as well. Mm-hmm. And so, while if you took an average industrialized consumer and you said, "Hey, go consume 100 grams of fiber," that would be a disaster. That's a lot of fiber ones, right? <laughs> and we all know if you have if you if you go past two fiber ones for the day, yeah, yeah, you watch out. Yeah, that's a, it's a it's a lot. We're, but technically, you could work your way up to that. There's actually some really exciting research that one of our Scientific advisory board members, Jens, Dr. Jens Walter, is doing right now titrating up fiber consumption levels in industrialized consumers to see what the outcomes are going to be on microbiome health and metabolic health. So there's this exciting research that's happening there. Uh, but my base point being the recommendation of 28 grams of fiber a day or and the for the WHO, it's 30 to 40, depending on if you're male mm-hmm. and female. Is, is a low ball. That would be my yeah, as analysis. Yeah. So, 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 right. So this is, but this is still very. But even good, still, the average grams. Americans are only getting ten to fifteen grams a day. So That's they're amazing. not even hitting their twenty-eight. Grams. So why, when you were creating um, Olipop, why did why was fiber so important? Why was why did you want a product that we started with flavor because it tastes good? Like you, yep. you definitely drink it. You're like, eh, I don't even know if there's fiber in here, but like fiber was part of the fiber of the company. Right. Right. Yeah. That's right. So the the three big things that looked like they were persistently present in these indigenous diets that were that are missing from industrialized diets or aren't present at the scale they need to be are fiber, prebiotics, and nutritional diversity, right? So that's also why this Ollie Smart blend that we has, have has seven different, eight different functional ingredients in it. And when we did our research at Purdue and some of the other universities we worked with, that's the blend that we actually tested for the microbiome outputs that it was that it was generating. And, and in the future state, we're actually going to be doing human clinical trials on uh, blood sugar st- stabilization, which I'm very, very excited about because fiber also has that impact. It actually does help to stabilize blood sugar. But those are the things that are missing. And so from my end, it's not like I don't have a particular horse to ride in terms – like there's all sorts of stuff that I really like. Like I really like mushrooms and I like – you know. Yeah. But I – really my goal was to say like, hey, what's missing at scale – is and would that be beneficial if it was present? And is there a way I can stick that into something that's mass like a soda? So there's also like the capitalist side of you, right? I mean, you're clearly like a flavor science professional and geek, which is great. We talk about flavor a lot on here, but also there's a capitalist side. There's the side that about product market fit, and there's like the way that you really saw a need for a better for you soda that didn't taste like shit. That I think I worked at health food stores in the '90s, and like right. they were all there, and they yeah. tasted like crap. Like you needed to go back to like the Mountain Dews and, and Jostas. And Dr. Pepper's right. prices were better. Right. But clearly you were like, I, I'm good at what I do and I'm making this soda better. So let's talk about the capitalist side. Did you, you really, you, you were like pretty bullish on this working, right? Well, yeah. I mean, look, I think in order to be an entrepreneur, you've got to believe in your dreams, right? right. I, I, you know, the reality is that, uh, and I don't know exactly where the stat comes from, though I've heard it like multiple times uh, from credible sources, but it's, you know, like something like, 
point zero only point zero four percent of beverage companies make it to ten million dollars in revenue. Yeah. So point zero zero one percent of beverage companies make it to where we are now. So <laughs> had I known that at the beginning of my illustrious air quotes career, I don't know if that would have dissuaded me or if I just would have marched into the void irrespectively. But yeah, I mean, I I did feel very strong. I have always felt very strongly, but I, honestly, and this you know could sound a little bullshit. Right. But the reality is it is the utility of what we're doing, the impact of what we're doing that actually gets me up out of bed every day that I just don't have the makeup in me to do this because I'm just chasing the the paycheck. Mm -hmm. Like this is like I literally I dropped out of college at 20 because we grew up poor and I didn't want to be in debt for the rest of my life. I dropped out of college at 20, helped a friend start a kombucha company. And now I'm 38. I've been doing this for 18 years. I cannot even describe to you. The trials and tribulations to get to this point, mm-hmm. and it, finances never would have been adequate. However, my enthusiasm uh, and my belief around the importance of the critical nature of the mission actually does end up making me a better business leader because I understand that in order for this to actually be effective, the business itself has to work. Right. You can't start cutting corners because, you know, there's a top line issue. Your sales are down. You, you have to yep. keep the product good. Now, let's talk about the, the category. It's ch- it's challenging. Eliza, my colleague, Barbanel, wrote a great piece about the beverage industry. Headline was, have we hit peak beverage? The conclusion mm-hmm. was probably um, doesn't affect you because you're already in the market. I think one thing she pointed on the piece, and it's clear, is that, you know, beverage is heavy. To, so to ship this stuff is, like, impossible. Right, right, right. I just want you to address this idea that, um, you know— this is a very crowded field. There's definitely a lot of copycats in the Better For You Soda field. I love mm-hmm. your face tells it all. Um, all very challenging, but you're still trucking away in this beverage category. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, what's this? Like, just comment on the crowded nature of the field. Yeah, you can start just... Uh, look, I mean, I do... I think that... A, I think that there's two major issues that... Like, I I don't think we've hit peak beverage. I think there's going to continue to be interesting opportunities. So that's my personal my personal perspective. I would hope that would be your personal perspective. I would say additionally, though, I do see kind of this, the two biggest pitfalls associated with beverage brands that I think that contributes to their high termination rate. I think one is the well-meaning, uh, small-scale food producer, maybe a little hippie-ish, maybe a little whatever, who thinks, hey, I got this cool recipe or, you know, here's this cool ingredient that I really love. And so they 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 slap something together. They have no idea what the capitalization requirements are. Yeah. They have no idea how difficult it is. Just to get a distributor, you got to have X amount of sales promised. 100%. Yeah, I mean, that was a, even, even, you know, David and I, my business partner, starting Olipop, we had already gone through a beverage company together, had experience. Uh, and even still, the first time we sold into a distributor, they were like, you go sell into X number of accounts. Right. You need to give them the number. And when you've done those accounts, right. we'll come back and we'll distribute you. And, and we just did it. We got our little cars and we sold in. Yeah. It's like chicken and egg. I mean, you have to create sales All over distributor. the place. Same thing with funding and staff. You need, you need yeah. staff. Uh, you need you need staff to compel the investors that you can actually accomplish on the thing that you want the funding for. Yeah. But you need funding in order to compel the people to come and join you. Yeah. Entrepreneurialism itself, though, is just packed with catch 22s. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. But um, so you've got you've got your kind of small, oftentimes well-meaning uh, entrant who just has no idea what it's going to take and gets eaten alive. Um, sometimes those those folks get 
um, seen by VCs, and then the VCs kind of come in, and that is a whole other game. Yeah, they have their their distributor that they work with. Prefer they'll float you some. Yeah, or they're like, hey, I can see this person doesn't really know what they're doing, but they've got a really good idea. I so see. we're gonna I quote see. help them, and I and see. they can it, that can build a successful company, but it, it doesn't oftentimes end up taking the shape that the person who got into the business, you know, the the company in the first place, maybe thought it would go. I think the other common pitfall is you've got a little bit more of your like MBA person who maybe does have a little more money and has a little bit more business acumen. But oftentimes there, I think the challenge becomes they're looking at white space. And so they're quite... Um, <laughs> white space. Yeah, they're basically kind Ugh. of just being like, oh, cool, it's a trend. I'm going to capitalize on this trend. I'm going to throw a, the badge on the thing. And so there's, you know, to like put it somewhat plainly, there's just not a lot of heart behind what they're doing. No. Now, it's it still a, it's can sometimes space. be successful, but you yeah. got to like you know, it's it's hard. You got to bleed for your, what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, and you really got to keep your eye on the pro- the ball. And if a VC is telling you to do something totally different, you somebody's just got to you know pack it in. Okay, so tell me about the hate the the biters, the copycats, the people who are doing what you're doing that you innovated. How does no. that make you feel? Well, it's interesting because at the end, of, you know, it, it's a double sided sword. It's a two it's double sided sword because you do need multiple entrants to make a category. So 100. when when you're talking to a retailer, when talking to a distributor. It's actually, if you were just off there on an island, you know, you get to a certain size where maybe that wouldn't matter, but especially in the early days, it's actually a great proof point. It can be a great proof point for investment. So having multiple entrants is great. Spindrift needed LaCroix. Right, right. 100%. I love Spindrift. Uh, Yeah, yeah, shouts. But uh, the other side of the double-sided sword, though, and I think this more specifically pertains to us, is because we are so mission impact-driven, we're not just chasing the badge, right? Like in, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, how do we transfer as many consumers as is humanly possible off traditional soda? And how do we do that in a way that then shepherds them into something that's actually quite good for them? Because high fiber, low sugar, physiologically, interacts almost in the opposite way with the body that no fiber high sugar does, like by its nature, right? And we've got 40% of the country, according to the CDC, has type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes. That number is only going to go up. According to the International Diabetes Federation, uh, a billion people are scheduled to have – or scheduled <laughs> – predicted <laughs> Whatever, to have – Whatever, predicted. Yeah, predicted yeah. to have uh, diabetes by 2050. So it's this – type 2 diabetes. So it's this massive metabolic uh, epidemic, which is being driven by high sugar, low fiber. 70% of uh, Americans have chronic digestive distress. That's a whole other thing. So – I actually, you know, Olipop is actually out here really trying to meet customers where they are, give them something that meets that emotional need, because we really recognize, like, hey, if we don't correct this this ship, the trajectory of the Mm -hmm. ship on a health base, I mean, uh, according to analysis by UCSF, they have, like, a sugar substitute task force, which is very cool, Um, but there's about $1.9 trillion in healthcare costs being passed on to the taxpayer in diet addressable metabolic dysfunction mm-hmm. alone. And there's probably about, according to their analysis, probably about $2.7 trillion total, dollars total being passed on to the Yeah, beverage is big. Tax every, every year. So, that's, so when other players get involved and it's clear that their standards are much lower and they're just playing the typical game and they don't actually care about the outcome on the consumer, the health side with the consumers as much, and then, the, but they all, they gain enough traction because consumers are typically a little undereducated in the, in, in the areas of what is actually healthy and what's not. That's frustrating. 
I think about two products when I think about Alipop, and I, and I want you to be honest with this because I, I wonder if you've looked at these two products. I've looked at, I've thought about Zico coconut water. I've thought about vitamin water, mm-hmm. which in New York City, those, both of those products had huge moments yeah. in bodegas, in grocery stores, which is similar to what Olipop has right now. It mm-hmm. is huge. I mean, it's sweet green across the street carries you now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is, and we have a great bodega downstairs. It's, it carries like eight SKUs. I think about those brands because those brands are gone. There's no more Zico. There's no more vitamin water. All I think about is 50 Cent, like, making a bill right. on that. What do you learn from these companies? So that's an interesting one. Um, so, you know, I think there's a couple layers to, to my thought. So one on the Olipop side, you know, and I don't want to I don't want to be expressing hubris here. But when you are building a company that's driven by flavors that have over 150 years of history with the American consumer that has this really deep identity identity driven relationship. Like vitamin water was was a great brand as a brand mechanic from brand mechanic standpoint. Zico is a good brand as well in its own way. Um, but there's not the same kind of historical, the same kind of legacy. Coke and Pepsi are there when people are five, having their yeah. five-year-old birthday, right? Co- soda is built into the American identity and to the individual identity of the consumers. And that is something at Olipop that we are actively seeking to tap into and then also organically tap into. So I think that's a differentiator. On Zigo specifically, I think anytime you've got a product that's essentially a commodity, that's you're going to have ebbs and flows, and that's mm-hmm. why one is still out yeah, there. Yeah, because there's, like, farming and agriculture required. Right. We talk about it with, like, olive oil. Per- well, and, oil. like, a Zico, and then a one, and then a Vita Coco, and, you know, yeah. like, they're they're all roughly the similar, the diff- and it's actually quite hard to innovate coconut water because coconut water has such a specific taste. So you taste say problem. commodity, it's like, it's, like, a very straightforward, like, 85% of it is one thing. Because somebody can snap their fingers and yeah. make another coconut water. Yeah, Right, yeah. so on a commodity base, I think it's hard to, to hold, hold down. Vitamin water is a little more interesting... Um, I think it was impacted on, on a couple different angles. I think, first of all, it kind of became there were any time that a product sells into a strategic, like a Coke in this case, mm-hmm. it's gonna naturally receive more scrutiny. And quite frankly, it should. And I think it received a little more scrutiny and consumer general consumer education around health and wellness improved. And they were like, actually the quantities and the Types of vitamins that are in here are probably not doing too much. Yeah, well, you got into, like, pizzerias and you got into fast food and, like, people started looking at it a little bit closer when it had almost, like, a mass population right. appeal yeah. and embrace. Yeah. And, and, and let's also not forget that, like, vitamin—this is—I don't know how many other people lost their minds with this, but from my side, they started putting crystal and fructose oh, in yeah. vitamin water. <laughs> like, yeah. I couldn't think of a, a worse thing to put into something that was going out to population at scale. So I think like those things all started to accumulate, <laughs> and and I think what happens is then the the brand is going through that kind of turbulence, and it's inside of a strategic, which is a notoriously less nimble organization, and so you know potentially if it was still being managed by the founding entrepreneur, maybe the, there could have been the necessary pivoting, but in this particular case, given that now it's, it's in the strategic. They're going to be less likely. You, to be you able think about to this with your trajectory as a company. You think about this when thinking about strategic partners, people acquiring you, et cetera, et cetera. I think you've always got to be mindful about what the long arc of your business looks like and and kind of where it might end up. And from my side of the equation, I'm always just thinking about how does Olipop still provide real value to customers ten years from now, twenty years from now, and so wherever we end up going in the trajectory of our business, which we have not set firm parameters around. Uh, but wherever we do end up going, that that 
question will be top of mind. I got this stat from your team, um, and it's interesting. So um, Olipop surpassed Pepsi, Canada Dry, and Mountain Dew in sales in a major national retailer. Yeah. Or is that general retail or just in one retailer? One specific, but very sizable like retailer. Like Tall Mart maybe rhymes with that, I, you know. Can't say. Can't say. Obviously, you can't say. But um, it makes me think, you know, when you have those historical brands and you're outselling all of them, what, like, how do you wrap your head around being that disruptive? Like, to use a, a word that is used a lot. I know. It's pretty intense that you're outselling Pepsi, Canada Dry, and Mountain Dew. And and our root beer is outselling A&W. Uh, I, I'm more of a hires guy. Yeah, okay. So just, so just saying. That's get, carrying less water with you? Yeah, yeah, a little yeah, okay. less water. No, yeah. fair enough. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, and uh, at the risk of coming off like, you know, cliche, the first emotion that I experience when I deal with that is actually just like, you know, I'm I'm just, I feel so fortunate and, um, what's the right word? It, I feel, it, it impacts me emotionally that our customer, I, I have talked to enough of our core consumers, I've talked to enough CSD consumers in general to know what the emotional and historical relationship is between these brands, what these brands do mean to people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the fact that they would trust Olipop enough to start replacing some of those, the choices we're doing is huge. I mean, people will fight for their identity. I don't know if you've noticed, Mm -hmm. but people will fight really hard for their identities. And a lot of these brands have major identity relationships inside of people's own internal identities. So that's that's my first feeling I have. The second feeling I have is great. That means that we are on track for the thing that we're actually trying to accomplish. Which is like, like if, taking over Coca-Cola, right? If we if we weren't starting to be able to be displaced, like yeah. generate displacement, then we'd have a much smaller ceiling in terms of how far we can go and how much impact that we can have than I think we actually do. How do you fight fatigue then? Because we we we, we like physiological fatigue. Well, no, you're yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. you're working your CEO, so you yeah. guys, but the like fatigue for a product happens. You know, we we buy and buy and buy and we love and love, then we like and then we kind of maybe don't like. Hmm. I mean, if you were talking to the Coke dude, that'd be impossible to ask. Impossible. Right? Yeah. So the, your your goal is to create. My goal is to create products that fill that same long, long-standing space that consumers have, right? So if we start getting feedback from the customers that they're falling out of love with the product, I'm, I'm really interested in that feedback so we can mm-hmm. see how we can adjust and so we see how well, we can Well, hockey stick growth will, 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 ch- will change and you'll address those needs and you'll, totally. you know. Yeah. Let's get back to your lab. I just mm-hmm. love that we started with flavor because I think that's important because you clearly have it. Do you have a holy grail flavor? I mean, for me, I'm just like requesting this is like Mountain Dew, but like the 90s formula. Everyone knows who knows Mountain Dew in the 90s was way better. Whole different situation. Whole different situation. Yeah, yeah. What, really interesting. What's your holy grail? Let's get it. Let's get into your lab. Well, I mean, bit. to be honest with you, man, like gener- making a good cola was, yeah. and that was the first batch of products we released. I mean, I so in my, in the prior beverage venture that I had, which also was in this territory of health contributing soda. It was kind of the, it was kind of a, it was a place where I learned a lot about what was and wasn't going to work in in terms of this approach. But I, that whole time I was like, gosh, I want to do a cola someday, but that'd be so easy to mess up. So honestly, getting one out the door and getting it out out the door, like pretty early on, um, was a pretty big, pretty big moment in a lot of ways. Um, 
Yeah, so you like did that. Is that your number one skew? Is that the, uh, our top two selling skews are strawberry vanilla and root beer? But that's mm. a little misleading because they were also a part of the first wave of products. Okay. They have the widest distribution. I mean, I orange and grape are having an absolute heyday. Cream sodas starting to have like really come out of the gate. Lemon I just don't think of doing... cream soda as having a, f- a following. It's kind of a. Have you tried or... a cream soda? Oh, I, I like yeah. the product. I'm yeah. just thinking in general, like it's a tough one. It's it's. I, we suspected it was going to do really well. No, no, it's... it didn't get quite as much distribution out of the gate. And then as it started to pick up distribution, like I see all the charts coming back from the retailers, and it very quickly. Well, the reason it works is because cream soda is too sweet typically, and if you can dial that down, I've seen cream sodas with sixty grams of sugar exactly. for twelve ounces. It's yeah. it's it's you yeah you freak out when you look at the nutrition, but you also just don't like it. It's palate fatigue. Yeah, but holy grail flavors. It's got to so be so so in terms of uh, I. Instead of giving Holy Grail flavors, I give you flavors that I'm, like, really intrigued by. I really wanted to Fair. make a raspberry sherbet because, again, thinking about – I remember being a kid, going to Lucky's, getting the big box of sherbet. Raspberry was always my favorite. So good. I was I, thinking clearly Canadian raspberry as well. But oh, okay. Okay. But that, like, you know, and then you could have, like, neon pink merch launch. It could all be 90s. So good. Supermarket vibes. Um, I kind of want to make a birthday cake flavor. Which is would kind of be the cream soda, but the reason why I'm intrigued, it'd be similar to the cream cream soda. But the reason why I'm intrigued by it is like, how do I get like yeast and and bread notes and like cookie and cake notes in a formula without having it be odd or gross? Like I like those conceptual challenges. Same thing with the banana cream. Yeah, banana cream is great. But did so the story on banana cream is like I just finished grape and I was laying in bed one day and I was thinking, like, what's the weirdest flavor that like Maybe I could pull off, but I probably couldn't. It's just so weird. I was like, I don't know, some like banana cream. And I like laughed to myself and I was like, that'll never happen. And then whatever it was, six, nine months later, we were talking to Universal about minions. Yeah. And I still hadn't seen it, but one of my staff members was like, oh, you know, their favorite fruit is banana. And I was like, <laughs> and I like kind of was just like, oh, I shouldn't say this, but I guess it will. You know, I did have this idea for a banana cream, <laughs> but I like those. I'm at a place in my formulation journey where I get really intrigued by. Those types of formulation challenges. Oh, like, do, you, do you think about savory? Do you think about like the way like Dr. Brown's is, like leans yeah. into savory a bit? Yeah, I mean, it could be intriguing, but I don't think it would ever match what I what we're trying to accomplish with our with our customers. Like yeah. I like I like having flavors that people would would expect. So that's why we cover a lot of ground with the traditional soda flavors, and that's why I did a ginger ale when we already had a yeah. ginger lemon. Because when you go try a ginger beer and then you try a ginger ale, they do taste markedly different. You know, they do actually taste quite different. And so ginger ale was this whole other kind of intriguing challenge of, like, how do you create something that still says Olipop, still has some real ginger in it, because I don't want to BS our customers with nothing but flavors, uh, but is really differentiated from the current offering. So I like those types of challenges. I mean, I did think about how cool it would be to do an Oreo flavor. Yeah. I'm, like, pausing. Yeah. I love Canfield Chocolate Soda. I don't know if you know that brand, Canfield uh, it was I have thought also about like a chocolatey fudgy. Soda. That's the guy, and I think yeah. a lot of people may know that Canfield chocolate soda yeah. back in the day. Um, they're su- they surprisingly work. Oh, they're which great. I didn't. They're fantastic. Yeah. Um, grapefruit, you know, Fresca. Grapefruit. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. That's like a real tough one, and and really. Oh, I could kill a grapefruit. Oh, so let's go. I could definitely do a grapefruit. I know you yeah. could, but why, yeah. why isn't it there yet? Yeah, it's a good question. I felt like there was like a love affair with grapefruit. Uh, you know, I, isn't squirt kind of grapefruit? One hundred percent fresca yeah, okay. squirt okay. ting. Of course, Jamaican soda ting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a real like north star for grapefruit for me. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm not. It's not off the table. 
I'd love to see it happen. I love because I think Pomplamoose gets too much shine, um, or even Spindrift grapefruit. They're, those are yeah. good products. Like, listen, and they're very different. Obviously, they're are the Spindrift pineapple. Has got it. Has That's got it. my one. Yeah. That's my like. We ju- do get a lot of requests for pineapple. There is pineapple in the tropical punch. There's all. Did yeah, you ever, fruit punch is good. Did you have uh, ever have that Hawaiian fruit punch? Oh, one hundred. So with the little boy on the cover. Yeah. yeah. Whatever is going on yeah, with him. Yeah. So uh, there's a flavor note in our tropical punch that I pulled from my memories of that flavor, but it does have passion fruit and pineapple juice in it. How fun. I know. Does Taylor drink Olipop? Uh, Swift? Of Swift. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully. Does does Beyonce? You're gonna... (laughs) I don't know, man. I'm not sure. I feel... I mean, I'd be surprised if they never had it. Like, you know, but I don't... This leads into my question. Do you have celebrity fans? Do they... Oh, for sure. Do they drop into your DMs? Uh... I, I'm not sure if they're dropping into our DMs, but we definitely have large amounts of celebrity fans and investors. Yeah. It helps with beverage. It's cool. I mean, I think, look, it's uh, it's very flattering. Uh, and But I think a lot of times then to take those that initial interest and turn it into something more meaningful, those do become more complex transactions. Yeah. It's- uh, Camilla, but Camilla Caballo was a perfect example. Um, oh right, she's like a huge fan, and just well, and we said she was uh, paparazzied. Yeah, she was drinking Starbucks vanilla. We're like, oh, that's interesting. And then somehow we linked up with her, and then she was such a pleasure to work with. You know, like that yeah. uh, video shoot with her. That's her real family. Yeah, she brought all of them in. You know, for the sh- for the shoot, and I, it was this wonderful merger of like, she's was already a fan of the product, uh, and then she really got what we were trying to say about human attachment and like social ties and how soda and Olipop fits into that territory. And it really, it actually resonated with her on a personal level. And that's when we knew, okay, this whole combination is right to actually go into from mm-hmm. a celebrity angle. I mentioned the Sweet Green collaboration, so mm-hmm. you, can or, you can buy it at Sweet Green. Um, I think about QSR a lot with soda. We drink mm-hmm. a ton of soda at, at QSR. Can it be in fountain form? Uh, there is a future state where that's certainly possible. I'm going to guess that it's a state that's in the Utah zone. Mm. I'm just, because that's where I, I know would, about those guys. Those uh, guys are great. Utah, what, are they, what are they called? What's their name again? I forget the name of the top of my head. There's, there's, there's drive through. Yeah, that's that yeah. chain in Utah. And they move a lot of soda. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. I think Texas they're too. one of tech, uh, Pepsi's, they're yeah. in Pepsi's top 10 nationally. It has a cool name. I can't yeah, remember. It's like Swish or Swoosh or. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 it does work in fountain form. Uh, you can. T- it's re- something that we're looking at for the future. I'll it's, put it that way. It's yeah. cool. I, yeah. I would love to see that. I think yeah. that would be really fun to have. I think it's a great. The one thing you have to keep in mind with there's two challenges with fountain, from you know what I've heard. Uh, one is when you own the equipment, it's very expensive to maintain it. Uh, but then also Coke and Pepsi do have a lot of uh, lockups. Uh, so yeah. if you want to, if you want to navigate the landscape, whether it is with quick service restaurants or sports stadiums mm-hmm. or any of these other kind of areas, you know, it's they're they're paying to keep that share of mm-hmm. mind, and a brand of our size is gonna yeah have an that's where almost this, impossible time. Ru- 
rank in that. That's where the strategic partners come in, I would imagine. Uh, You are partnered with the Kansas City Currents, which is a professional soccer team. When are we going to see Olipop on like an NBA jersey? I feel that's going to happen. Similar. That's a similar. We've looked. We've looked at some opportunities, Um, but. First, there's a there's a cost, and we have to be mindful about yeah. where are we divvying our out our funds, and like, is that a, is that an area that we want to just you know is that worth taking up x amount of the total marketing budget just to go after that one thing, uh, and then we are also always d- dealing with the red and blue blockade, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I just but we're I, like pre- we're in favor of it. I love seeing yeah. food on on jerseys. I don't know, like I, I just love that food can hit the mainstream, like be that cool that it's on right. an NBA jersey. Let's talk a little bit about retail. I like to get a sense of how you think about the the big box and also the small indies because I think your product is prominent in both. You've hinted that you're selling very large a big box retailer to be unnamed, mm-hmm. that they're named, but there's also um, extreme interest in Olipop in places like Foxtrot, Pop-Up Grocer, yeah. bodegas in cities like Los Angeles, Austin, New York, et cetera. You see it everywhere. How do you, um, as, a, as a company, think about... Um, you know, spreading the love to mm-hmm. both sides of retail? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, UDS is what is the up and down the street is still such an important part of the framework of making sure that you're actually saturating deeply enough into a community, right? So you can, um, so you you do, you are mindful of both. I think, you know, earlier on in a beverage life cycle, you maybe you pick a metro or two that's close to your hometown where you do make sure you build some of that actual like hey let's go after these bodegas let's go after some of the mm-hmm. stuff down the street because you have a street team who can drive out there that's now. right there's an efficiency to it there's a hometown advantage to it but then as you start your scaling process you are really trying to figure out where you can be efficient and that's where these larger retailers are great especially if you know some of our relationships are direct which means we have a direct like we we ship the product directly to the retailer into their warehouses and they distribute it out to their stores. Those are really, really healthy and efficient relationships that are great for us as a brand. But then you get to another stage where you're now saying, okay, we're going to be spreading out how how many different metros that we are looking to get that, that saturation. So both parts of the equation are really important and you're evaluating the whens and the wheres and the whos and different ways as you're growing throughout the life cycle of your business. Does it have to be stored cold? Olipop does need to be stored cold. We, it uh it it is allowed it can spend some time out of the fridge. So we actually we partnered with Purdue. We did full stability testing around the product, which is awesome. We have a 6 week window where we're fine. Or long-term storage does need to be cold. The driver for that is some of the prebiotics we are using. Um, will do something called hydrolyze, which basically means they'll break down and they'll eventually turn into sugar mm. because of the acidity that's in the that's all in all in all, in all beverages. Uh, and they'll break down and turn into sugar if they're not stored cold. If they're stored cold and we've got all the testing to prove it, they're a okay. This is also partially what I get at, by the way, when I talk about some of the other players in the industry. Yeah, you're never you know, yeah. There's folks who use inulin who don't refrigerate the products, mm-hmm. and you know you can run the math on what the outcome of that would mm-hmm. be. So, does this change at all for your product? Can you keep it shelf stable? Can you get to a point where uh, you can't do that with the current formula? Got but it. we're always evaluating. Cool. You know what the future holds? Because you know, it, I think about retail. You think about challenges like you're buying it cold. It's usually right. cold, which is a huge but advantage. But the cold shelf, the cold fridge is 
very fast moving. I mean, if there's the phrase in the industry, if it's cold, it's sold. That's what I'm saying. People want a cold product off the shelf. That's yeah. what is such a great unlock for your company that you it has to be cold, it has yeah. to be consumed, and has to be loved. And if it's a good product, it'll sell off the, the shelf. And we've got, I mean, I'm thrilled with a lot of the retailer relationships we have. Like, the way, you know, we've been very, like, our product performs really, really well. Uh, and the, a lot of our big retail partners have been responsive to that, and then they've given us space on the shelf. Like, you know, in uh, they've I think our average, you know, we're carrying eight, nine of our items. We'll be moving to north of 10. You know, so we're getting a lot of shelf coverage yeah. in the cold set, and that is very hard territory, too. Oh, my God. I mean, it's definitely yeah. ShopRite in Chester, New York. I'm I'm super down with that. Yeah. You know, I, it's a real acid test for for products for mm-hmm. me. Last question about retail, Erwan. Like, what do you think? It's just like— Like, I, was my emotional relationship well, with Erwan? Well, <laughs> I guess that's a really weird question I just said. Yeah. Let's, let me back up. Yeah. Erwan is its own thing. It's like, yeah. I feel like it is a real—it sets the, the temperature for— beverage and clearly their beverage is influential have you gotten close with erwan how did what is your relationship with them so you know this is why it, it is so important that the retail landscape be diverse uh erwan serves a really important function right like sometimes people are like oh everything there is so expensive but that all that their pricing architecture allows them to take a bunch of risks and try out a bunch of really novel formulas Right. And you wouldn't have thought off the top that like Olipop's going to work in, in Erewhon. Last I checked, uh, I think our strawberry vanilla Olipop is the top selling beverage in Erewhon. Yeah. Except for their water. Their water brand apparently moves just ridiculous yeah. numbers of units. So, uh, because well, you know, it's like it actually, it's like cultural cachet to carry the Erewhon water around. <laughs> right. It's all, <laughs> it's all thing. But, uh, it, but it's an interesting place where, to your earlier question, you know, celebrities go and shop. But also, Walmart will send their buyers out to the field to walk their one stores to take a look at what's actually coming out next. So yeah. it's, a, it's a very interesting retailer, and I do really appreciate that they they explore and they do unearth a lot of brands that do it end up going out to make it. Like, it's a great, it's a great test market. On This Is Taste, we ask guests about their discerning taste. So to close this interview, here's a little rapid-fire Fast and Furious taste check. Ben, are you ready? I'm ready. Your favorite beverage that is not Olipop? Uh, I really like Stumptown cold brew coffee. I really like Spindrift, and I really like sparkling water in general. Yeah, in general. Yeah. Could be from the total. from. The I don't sp- actually like like the flavor. Like, I don't love LaCroix. I don't love water. I mean, I have no specific problem with them, but it's... it's <laughs> no, un- there's no war between Olipop no, and LaCroix, no, just to be clear. No, none. But I, I actually, I specifically like Spindrift, or I like yeah. unflavored sparkling water. I got it. Yeah. The best breakfast. Um, I like something called savory oats that I make. It is oats with bone broth instead of water, and then it sounds weird, super weird. No. But then it, you throw uh, some seaweed in there. No, it doesn't. Sounds amazing. You make some eggs and yeah. you lo- do a little sauerkraut. Oh, and it's and you put it all in a bowl and it's ridiculous. I love this. Yeah, and it's vegan. It sounds like eggs. Oh, sorry, yeah. eggs. You, you but you can say. admit the eggs if you want. Yeah, throw some tempeh on or whatever. But yeah, sounds cool. Yeah, it's, it's, you're a savory breakfast guy. I'm a savory breakfast guy. Do you do chili crisp at breakfast ever? Uh I have. Yeah, yeah. I I'm a big chili chili crisp guy. Me too. Yeah. The best dessert. Uh, it's I like cherry pie. I mean, 
fucking love cherry pie. Cherry is my favorite fruit. You so. live in the Pacific Northwest. So I that's, do. That's great. Yeah, when the farmer's market's in the right spot, there's like Oof. 10 different varieties of cherries. It's ridiculous. Your favorite cookbook of all time? Uh, so, uh, to be honest with you, I don't use a ton of cookbooks, uh, but I also don't really use a lot of rest. So what I'll, what I'll oftentimes do, whether it's a cookbook or whether I go online, when I'm uh, looking at a recipe, I'm trying to get the base non-negotiables. Like, okay, I'm cooking a white fish, and so here's where the temperature's got to be, and here's the time's going to be. And then I'll look at the basic architecture of the recipe, but being, like, effectively a food scientist, like, I'll just go off from there and make my own. It makes sense. You- I rarely actually... Baking, you've got to be a little more mindful, obviously. Yeah. But in general, I, I don't... I, I riff off recipes, and so I never really use... As a beverage guy, I have to ask you this. An essential bottle of booze to have in your house for entertaining purposes... On a on like a trend basis, I like a Japanese whiskey, and I really like a good Amaro that actually has like you know real roots in it, no artificial colors, that kind of thing. Does Olipop work with alcohol? I've never actually thought about that. I, don't I yes, it works. I mean, cherry vanilla and mezcal, uh, tequila and watermelon lime, ah. uh, or like a lighter tequila and watermelon lime. Uh, I mixed the champagne and the the uh, crisp apple together. Oh, that would that would be cool. Yeah, there's yeah. we. Yes, I, there's a lot of mixing to go. Interesting, I never yeah. thought about that. Your favorite big box grocery store? Um, you know, I I have working with I've worked so I love shopping good Costco, uh, but I also have developed a lot of respect for Target, like working with their with their corporate team. Yeah, um, I have seen a lot of like real care about the customer and their health and like their life. Uh, I've just developed a lot of respect to them. I've developed a lot of respect for Target over the past 25 years yeah. shopping there. I love Target. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Great, great one. Um, your favorite smaller boutique, weird, cool grocery store? Um, there's a little tiny one near me. Uh, so I live in the Pacific Northwest. I'm in Washington technically, but I'm close to Portland now. I'm from Northern California. But I uh, there's a little tiny zone called Well Spent. Mm-hmm. If you want, like, hyper boutique, there's one of them. Yeah. And it's probably, like, 500 square feet. Um, but I do actually like Foxtrot quite a bit as well. Um, I spoke on a panel with their CEO. She's great. Um, you know, there's a bunch of little... No, it's cool. I love... You've got to have your... your you've got to have your little wonky locals. you like, got to yeah. support the indies, too. You just have to go there and, and make sure to spread out the... Spread it's out fun shopping. Oh, heck yeah. Well, food shopping is the best. Yeah. A couple more. Your favorite vegetable. So, I feel like... A, Four-way tie going here, which I know is, like, off the... But I think, like, I really like well, well-made well egg, eggplant. I really like broccolini. Okay. And I really like garlic, and I really like ginger. Damn. You went you went allium. You went all over the place. All over the I'm, place. I'm all yeah. about it. I like the... Oh, like the leek. Speaking of allium, leeks are also <laughs> really good. Last one, your favorite sandwich? Um, Maybe it's a little basic, but, like, a really well-made chicken salad sandwich with, like, some avocado and some sourdough or something. Like, that's... Solid mayonnaise based. Is it more Italian with olive oil? What's what's no? I I give me the mayonnaise. Yeah, maybe a little aioli. Like give me some give me some flavor in there. But you know, I also really like pesto. So when you've got like a pesto and like a mozzarella and a tomato, like that's also a nice one. A little press on it. But not to stand about Olipop, but if you've made it this far, you know I like the product. I love Olipop 
and sandwiches. There's something that works really well with a carbohydrate, with a salty meat mm-hmm. or turkey, whatever, and then like the condiment, something like a very umami rich sandwich. I love pairing it with like a, a Dr. Goodwin or a Vicola. It, it just really works. I think it's because I just don't like drinking regular soda with it because mm-hmm. it just hits your palate. Well, that much sugar plus that much bread versus that much bread plus nine grams fiber. Like that's it, gonna, so yeah, yeah. If it grows together, it goes together. Well, so and also not to get too nerd town over here, but you have this little organ between your stomach and your lower your small intestines called the duodenum. Okay, and the and basically the duodenum sits right next to your liver, and so when you're breaking all your food down in your stomach, it goes from your stomach, it drips into your duodenum, and then it gets transferred. Fiber coats the duodenum, and it keeps the sugar content of what you just broke down in your stomach from transferring through to your liver. And so, and your body does not like sugar going straight from the duodenum to the to the liver. It can actually generate something called fatty liver disease, which you can actually be very, uh, your BMI can be just what you want it to be. And if you've got fatty liver disease, you've got a real problem or fatty deposits building up around your liver. Mm-hmm. So having fiber with your meals uh, is really important for mm. liver health. Leave it there. Thank you, Ben Goodwin. This yep. has been such a pleasure. Thank you for joining This Is Taste. Thank you so much for having me. What's up, Eliza? Not much. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, you So you slacked me the other day, and I was, like, taken aback. I actually, like, dropped my laptop on the floor when I saw that you had recently visited Costco for the first time. Yeah, you know, I didn't think people would care so much about this, but there's been many people that have been shocked that I had never been to Costco and, like, very invested in my take on the situation. So let's paraphrase for our listeners who don't, like, shop who might not know what Costco is. So let's 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 give it some ground. Like what do you what do you when you think of Costco, what do you think of? Well, I had literally never been until last week. So I think what I heard about from people was that um they sold really good liquor that was like huh. the same quality as Grey Goose but Kirkland brand. Obviously Kirkland brand is yeah. the Costco house brand. So I knew that. I knew that they sold things in bulk and that is kind of all I knew going mm-hmm. into it because when I grew up in L.A., I don't think there was a Costco on the west side. And I also didn't grow up in a family that was, like, eating things in bulk necessarily. I don't know. I just—the opportunity never presented itself. It's interesting when you bring up the liquor side because that's such a good point. Um, and when I was editing at Punch, we we did a story about Costco. Um, and, like, the tequila is is apparently very good and about, you know, 30 percent the, the, the the cost of, of typical Anejos and, and Reposados. Um, I think of Costco as, as someone who grew up eating food in bulk. Um, <laughs> I think of it as a place that obviously has a really great value. Um, you pay like a couple hundred dollars a year for a membership fee. And the idea is that you're instantly getting that money back and it's no joke. I know that like they have the Costco card or cash. Those are the only two ways to pay. You can't pay with uh, an Amex or a typical credit card. I know that the, the, the hot dog is a dollar and quite Good dollar fifty maybe oh dollar fifty perhaps um, I know that we've written about it and I'll link to the the article in the show notes uh, how around the country and even around the world there are regional foods that are found at specific Costco's and that was something that I loved about that piece um, I don't know the general history of like when it was founded I grew up with Sam's Club and Pace which were like also big box uh, discounters but I think Costco for whatever reason and the Kirkland brand is like the top of the heap. Yeah, you know, it was um, 
overwhelming, I would say, to go to Costco for the first time. I, I kind of like don't do well in in malls or casinos or like big inside areas. In <laughs> Not general. a big blackjack. No, I later. just get like disoriented yeah, yeah, and I don't know where I am. And going to Costco, we went to the Costco in Astoria. Um, and like even just trying to get a spot in that parking lot, I was like, okay, I need to take some deep breaths because <laughs> like everyone is on their own kind of. But it was pretty magical. So yeah, let's get into the actual visit. You know, it's interesting you went to an urban Costco and I've been to the one in Brooklyn as well, but like they're, they're very different. I think in cities, um, they're quite smaller. I think when you go to the ones in like suburbs or small towns, they're much larger. Oh, I can't even picture one that's bigger. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, you, the one you went to, I, I, I would imagine is probably maybe 75% of the size of some of them. Like, was there literally a car in there? Uh, Did not, you see? not that I saw. So in Costco's, I've been to Costco's where there's cars. They sell cars? Yes. Well, they're like demoing tires, I believe. They might not sell cars, but they have literal cars in the middle of Costco's. Well, they were selling like computers and all of these things that I I didn't know. I feel like people talk about like the the bakery or maybe like the canned goods or something. Let's get into that. But tell me, when you walk in, what's happening? What's going through your mind? And tell us a little bit about the visit. Well, so, okay. So I got a new apartment. So I had a need to go to Costco to stock up on paper towels and kind of essentials, yeah. basics, those kinds of things. And my girlfriend loves Costco and she's a member and she's been oh, wanting Shirley's to take a me. Member. Okay. She's a card carrying member. She's been to the one in Taiwan. Like she like, she has a Costco sweatshirt, which you can mm. only get outside of the U.S. The ones in the U.S. say Kirkland on them, but the ones in Taiwan say Costco. Oh my them. gosh. She has two actually. I'm really like, this is the Shirley episode, I guess, because she's the one that took me and she loves Costco. And I was kind of reluctant, but I had this need to go. And so I went to get like paper towels. I got like a big step ladder, kind of like basic things for the apartment. And then she said I was most excited about the canned goods section, mm. which I think is probably accurate knowing myself. I really like went in in that regard. So when you were going to the canned goods, were you did you check out the like Ortiz uh, giant tins of fish there? They have that. I know. Oh, I bought a six pack of sardines. Oh, yes. I bought a six pack of Goya chickpeas. I bought another six pack of the um, mm, this one brand of coconut milk that I like. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. And then they also were selling uh, three packs of San Marzano whole peeled canned tomatoes. Yeah, which was incredible, and th- the price was so good on them. And I was just loading them up into my cart. Um, then I realized I had to carry everything. But That's the thing about New York when you, you got to like lug everything. Yeah, well, we yeah. had a car, so that yeah. was like very easy that part of the process. But I think that. Um, it's crazy. Like things change. You're inside the Costco and I'm like, maybe I do need a five pound bag of pistachios because the price is so good. And then I didn't get it because five pounds of pistachios is a lot. I know. And I, I look at like the when you look at the Greek yogurt and you get like a, a brick of like, you know, eight faye like big boys. And it's like, yeah, that looks awesome. And then you're like, where am I putting this stuff? Yeah. And some things we got to split. Like we got a giant thing of kimchi that we split into two. Yeah. Uh, we got a five-pound bag of dino nuggets and wow. split that into two. Five-pound bag. Yeah, I kind of feel like there needs to be, like, a Costco urban, like, crowd share program where there were so <laughs> many things that I wanted, but I just couldn't get that much. I know. If you go to, like, bodegas in New York, you'll see folks, like, unloading uh, their groceries from Costco because it's, like, where that community kind of, you know, sources the, the goods and bodegas. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And also the $5 rotisserie chicken, I don't even understand how that's possible. Yeah, I know. I, I the, the prepared foods is is almost, I mean, it's an absolute loss leader. But I guess it's almost to a level of, like, is this stuff even good? But, you know, the hot dog's pretty good. I've had it before. 
Yeah, I didn't get the hot dog because no. I was we were in Astoria, so there were so many good places to get yeah. lunch around there. We kind of made it into an excursion, but um, a lot of people were very upset that I didn't go to the food court and try the hot dog. I think that people love Costco when someone doesn't hasn't been before. <laughs> they want to like have everything be validated, especially working in food. A lot of my friends were like, "What do you mean you didn't get the hot dog?" What do you dog? mean you didn't get the one thing? Did you get a chance to go to the bakery? Uh, I did go to the bakery, but again, it was kind of in bulk. I didn't need like a dozen muffins. And I heard that the stuff in the bakery goes stale like kind of quickly. Oh, really? You heard some. It's probably true. My experience, I've never bought breads there. But so I have a deep connection with Costco around the holidays, mostly Thanksgiving. And in Costco's around the country, and I'm sure listeners will recognize this, around like mid-November, they start selling their pumpkin cheesecake. I love pumpkin cheesecake. I do too. It's truly one of my favorites. And their version is so it's gas, it's fire, it's everything. It's 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 fireworks. It's everything you wanted. It's absolutely perfectly smooth. It's industrial in the best possible way. Um I think the crust is is usually a graham cr- cracker crust. And here's the thing. It's 8 bucks. It's eight dollars for, for like a whole cheesecake, a big one, a, a really big one. It's cr- I think they put them out, and I know I was looking on TikTok. I'm gonna try to find this and maybe link to the show notes. There's like a overhead, um, you know, a, a, a video of like a, a time lapse mm-hmm. from of the bakery section of when the pies are put out, and it shows that them selling literally one thousand of these pies over the course of a day. That's crazy, and I guess when you think about the price when you're doing things at so much scale, like that's where that price comes in in part, you know. Definitely. And they put the bakery in the back of the store, obviously. So you walk past those higher margin goods, like definitely the electronics are higher margin. They they make way more money on those. And they, you know, the subscriptions, like they, they sell like, like security cameras and things like that, that are, you know, nice, well-priced, but certainly they make more money on those. Yeah. My stepladder was maybe not a good cost margin <laughs> compared to all of the other foods, but yeah. it was, it was really crazy. And also I think for me, like going into winter and soup season, like all of the canned goods that I mentioned that I bought, like I'm going to run through those. I would go mm-hmm. back to Costco with other people and who want to split like large quantities of things with me. Like I totally see the appeal. I think if I had a family, like I would yeah. want to be a member. I think to be like a person living on their own, it's kind of like a lot to be buying. Yeah, it's a great point you bring up. Listeners are certainly in families and have, have kids. And, and I think that's definitely cost effective to go to Costco once or twice a month or even even more and buy. The meat is pretty good there too. And you can buy like large packets of chicken, beef and um, and obviously, uh, you know, hit, hit up that pie, hit up a pie or two when you're there. Yeah, I guess I have to go back and get the pumpkin cheesecake. Yeah, definitely get back. So now that I know that Shirley is a fan uh, and you've been, do you think you'll be returning anytime soon? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I don't think I would ever be the person that's like, we need to go to Costco. But yeah. I think if there was a trip that was happening, I would definitely go and stock up on all of those things and maybe like, get the five pound bag of uh, pistachios this yeah. time because I freaked out about it, but I could have just frozen them. You could have definitely like found a way to store them. There's something like existential about when to go to big boxes in New York because we, we live busy lives and you certainly don't want to kill like a Saturday because it's like precious time off. Yeah, it was um, it was a big day. But, you know, actually taking the subway from Astoria to our office is incredibly easy. So, oh. um, you know. Maybe maybe it'll happen. You're thinking of a field trip? Yeah, so you're yeah. Proposing. I think I think we have to go with Shirley though because she's she's yeah. our way in. Let's do that. We'll we'll come back to uh, to to you guys in a in a bit with our with our dispatch from Costco. Live live in the aisle. Live in the aisle. Live in the pistachio aisle. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing, Eliza. Thanks. 
This Is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.